you know, you've heard of uh, IQ, right? The measurement of your intelligence. You've probably heard of EQ, uh, emotional intelligence. Let me introduce you to a new idea, and that is HQ. So not headquarters, but your, your holiness quotient, okay? So holiness quotient is the measurement of how much we are like Jesus and how much we conform to his, his image. And so I talked about this a little bit last week that I find for myself that I, I feel like I am most holy when I'm alone. And when I move from, so when I'm alone, you know, I'm spending time with God, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, oh God, this is so rich, this is so good, and I'm, I'm praying for people and stuff, and it's just, I, it's just, it's just good, everything's good, life's good. And then I move from that isolation into community, and I'm with somebody else who may have offended me in some way, or may have a different opinion than, than I do, and suddenly my, my HQ goes, goes down. That's, that's when it starts getting challenged. And it's not just like major movements from isolation to community like we're experiencing today, where, where many of you are like moving from worshiping at home to, to moving. To, it, doesn't, it doesn't take that major of a move. It's just like, I mean, you might be driving in your car to work and you're moving from the isolation of your car into the community of your workplace. Or you're moving from the isolation of your car to the community of your, your home. Um, even in those moments, anytime there's more than one person, there's the potential for, for conflict and, and for disagreement. And so we know this over the issue of masks. We talked about this last week. And I heard from a couple of different perspectives on the whole mask issue. And I thought I would, I would share this with you uh, here the, this morning. Uh, I was talking with someone this week who said that they had gone to the grocery store. And they noticed that everybody in the grocery store had a mask on except for one person. And this bothered, bothered this guy so much. And I said, would you just share with me and would you allow me to share with our church family why that bothered you so much? This is, this is a perspective, one, one end of the perspective on masks. So he wrote this, I'm not personally concerned about the virus, but I am concerned about potentially passing it on to my family. My children have had asthma issues in the past. And my wife has chronic health issues and is considered at risk due to being immune compromised. For her or my children to get the virus could be a death sentence. And so that's one very real perspective on masks. Now, I know that there are other perspectives because I've heard from, from others in our, our church family. And I've, I've, I read on Facebook and post that I know there's another whole perspective on the mask that is a, a very real aspect of saying, okay, w- at what point does our government overreaching with the whole issue and, and mandating masks in all of these different settings and places? And so that's a very real issue as well. So that's one example of a major difference that that we have that can lead to to disunity. And before I go on, I just I want to make one more point on on the mask issue, because I did I did hear this concern expressed this week. And and it's this concern for for us as a church. If we are uh, this was kind of the, the way it was stated is if we are capitulating to the government to, to say that we will wear masks on this point, at what point do we, how, how far does that go? 
And at what point do we draw a line and say that we won't capitulate to the government on other things? For example, if the government were to come to us and ask us, require us to do something that goes against Scripture. For example, the kind of marriages that we perform or won't perform. And I I just want to say this very clearly at this point to reassure you. Okay, if, if, when it ever comes to the point where the government is requiring us as a church or us as leadership to do something that is contrary to scripture, scripture will win. Okay, we, our, our first allegiance, our most important allegiance will always be to the Lord Jesus Christ and what we believe he is requiring us to do. And so if it comes to the point where we have to disobey the government in order to obey God, that is what we will do. And so I want to reassure you with that. Now, as far as the masks go, I have not seen a verse that tells me that we are not allowed to wear a mask. So I don't feel like in going, I don't feel like we need to go against the government's uh, recommendation and guideline to wear a mask. If somebody knows of that verse, um, I can't take it right now, but just let me know later and, and we'll deal with that. Lots of opportunities for us to disagree on lots of different points. I mean, we're in an election year, right? So the, the disagreement over politics, crazy right now. The, the race issue. I know that, again, even within our church, I've talked to different people who are at very different places with how we should approach the, the race issue. Do we, does it need to be dealt with at all? And so there, there's all these opportunities. And so, and besides all of those big picture issues, there's just the ordinary, everyday, personal offenses that we experience, right? I mean, somebody just does something and we misunderstand or we're, we're just offended in different ways. All kinds of different opportunities to disagree. And by now, some of you are, are saying... I, I'm sorry I came this morning. Why did I come back? I came, came for some hope this morning. Um, okay, the hope, the hope is, is coming here. Let, let me just in, encourage you. Uh, what, what we want to talk about this morning is that what binds us together is stronger than what pulls us apart. I want to remind us of that this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible near you or device, would you please uh, turn there? To Ephesians 4. I mentioned last week that uh, it's going to be a while before we put Bibles back out on the seats. So uh, be sure to bring your own Bible, bring your own device. When I got home, my, uh, my daughter, one of my daughters said to me, so now we're a BYOB church, I guess. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe you can tell your friends. Maybe that'll be a drawing card. I, I don't know. We're asking the question this month, uh, what would love do? And last week we asked the question, what would love do as it relates to, to face masks? And so today we, we are asking the question, what would love do in the face of disagreement? When, when we disagree with another person, what does it look like to love them in that? And so we're going to start here in verse 1 of Ephesians 4 to find the answer to that. Paul speaking, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Okay, before I go on, let let me just pause here and highlight the fact that Paul is writing this from prison, having been imprisoned for serving the Lord, for doing the right thing. I mean, I, 
I live in a world in my mind where I think if you're doing the right thing, especially if you're obeying the Lord and doing what he wants you to do, I mean, life should go pretty smoothly. But, but rather, Paul has been thrown in prison, prison for serving the Lord, which adds a gravitas towards what he is about to say. This is not just some kind of fly-by-night teacher who's just throwing out a life hack that you might consider, okay? This is someone who is serious about following the Lord. And so he says, I am, as a prisoner for the Lord, listen to what I have to say. Pay attention. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So... Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is a hinge verse. It's a hinge verse that transitions us from the first half of the book of Ephesians to the second half. The first half of the book of Ephesians has to do with our beliefs. What we believe and what we understand about what Christ has done. The second half of the book of Ephesians is about our behavior. So how do we behave in light of what we believe? And so, as I was young, growing up, I used to love the parts of Paul's letters that were about the behavior. Like, I would, I would kind of jump to those. I'd jump over the beliefs because I didn't really understand a lot of it. And I'm just like, just tell me what to do. I just want to get to the practical. And so, what I've learned as I have grown older is that I can't begin to do and behave the way God wants me to behave if I don't believe what Christ has already done. I can't do what God wants me to do if I'm not grasping hold of what Christ has already done for me. So this hinge verse transitions us from the point of talking about what Christ has done and what we need to understand about that to now going into what our behavior needs to look like. And and Paul says, I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you to walk, to behave in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So when you and I decide to follow Christ, when we call ourselves a Christ follower, and I know some of you are listening and and may not be at that point, you're still exploring faith and you have not, you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is. And so if that's the case for you, then I'm very glad that you're listening. Keep, Keep listening. So I know that's, this doesn't apply to everyone, but for those of us who have trusted Christ, it means that our belief should impact our behavior. Our lives should look different because of our faith in, in Christ. Paul says, live up to that name of Christ follower. It's kind of like if you join the military. There's a code of conduct being in the military that you need to live your life a cut above the, the kind of the rest of society. I mean, there's a call to wear that uniform, wear that name, that branch name with, with pride and to live up to a certain measure of conduct. So we have, as Christ followers, we have a golden opportunity right now to stand out from and look different than the rest of the world. And, and Paul is calling us to that. And now he's going to go on and tell us what that looks like. And it looks like three virtues, two pursuits, and one focus. And so we see the three virtues first in verse 2. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then he talks about two pursuits, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And here's the one focus, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is where all of this is building towards. So I want to talk about unity first. Community takes unity. Okay, if you're experiencing, if you're going to experience real community with other people, unity is required. If you have a group of people that cannot get along on anything, if they're all working against each other, fighting with each other, then you, you have something, you have some kind of group, but you don't have community. Community requires a measure of unity and agreement and getting along and, and loving each other. We, we could talk about this on a lot of different levels. We could talk about this on the level of your, your home, your, your family, your, your coworkers. We could talk about those things. But today, I want us to just talk about this as it relates to us as a church. So when we as a church are divided over whatever issue, fill in the blank issue that we get divided about, then we, we lose our impact on the people around us. We lose our credibility. If people on the outside of the church look into our community and they see all this strife and all of this division, they're going to say, I don't need more of that. I've got enough of that in my home, in my workplace, in in our world. I, I don't need to see more of that. You don't have anything that you can offer you, can offer me. And so, Unfortunately, we, we actually have a lot of work to do to overcome our tendency towards division, especially we as Protestants, okay? because our history, in our history, division is at the core of our DNA. So in the 16th century, prior to the 16th century, there was pretty much one church, one universal global church. There were a couple of divisions within that, but it was pretty much one Catholic church. And in the 16th century, some people saw something that needed to be addressed, a core issue that that needed to be addressed that was all around the, the eternal salvation of human souls. I mean, there is no more core issue than that. It's understanding how we can be saved, how, how we can have a relationship with God. And so some people courageously stood up and said, wait a minute, some things need to change. And they were hoping that there could be reform within that global church and everybody could stay on the same page. But that, that didn't happen. And so they had to break off and, call, and create a division And ever since then now, if you look at the history of Protestantism, that's been happening over and over and over again. It's just like multiplication of rabbits or something like that. I mean, you look around our country and our world now and you see all these different denominations and splinters off of the denominations. And I'm glad, I I just want to say, I'm glad the Reformation happened. So I, I, I think it needed to happen. It was over a core issue. My question is, whether all of the divisions that have happened since then in the Protestant church, I'm not convinced that all of them needed to happen because I'm not convinced that all of those were over that core issue of the eternal salvation of human souls. 
I'm also not convinced that all of those divisions and splinters that came off were, were led necessarily by, some of them were, but were necessarily led by people who were as committed as the reformers were to being in the scriptures and being in prayer and doing what God wanted them, them to do. So I'm not convinced that all of the splinters that have happened since then. Anyway, all that to say, I think a lot of the things that we divide over today are, are not worth dividing over and are not the central issue, which, will, which Paul gets to in, in a few verses here, that are worth dividing over. Here's what we need to know. I mean, the, the world is not going to care about our beliefs if they're not captured by our behavior. The world will not care what we believe if they're not captured by our behavior. If they don't see something different in us, they're going to say, I, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. And so we have, a, we have a golden opportunity right now to demonstrate community and, and unity that could draw others to say, I want to know what you have. I want what you have. Jesus said it this way. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the version of Bible that you read. That's not what he said. You're, you're supposed to laugh. When you say, I'm, I'm used to not hearing any kind of response when I'm looking at camera, but anyway. No, he didn't say that. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your stance on politics. That one's hardly worth laughing at, right? I know that's too, too true to be sad. Um, or it is sad. Sad, true, something. Anyway, this is what Jesus said. Okay, this is the important thing. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you what? Have what? Love. It's up there on the screen. You have love for one another. This is how we set ourselves apart. And so we're asking the question, what would love do? What would love do when we disagree with each other as we inevitably will? Well, Paul goes on to tell us sometimes, sometimes we overlook the differences. Other times we have to tackle them and work through them. So this is what he goes on to talk about. Verse 2, halfway through verse 2, he says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. This is one response when we experience disunity, when we experience disunity. Sometimes we bear with one another in love. And actually the Greek word means to put up with. We put up with each other in love. It's the idea of tolerance. This was talked about a lot when I was growing up. I don't think we quite use the word as much anymore. But, but I know when I was growing up, we talked about tolerance. And that word never really settled so well with me because I felt like, isn't this like the lowest common denominator? I mean, it's like, okay, I'm just going to put up with you. And yet, this is what Paul's saying. Put up with each other, but he adds a key phrase to it. In love. In love. This is not romantic, lobotomy, I'm in love, kind of in love. This is self-sacrificial, others-centered, serving kind of love. So putting up with in love. Every one of us needs this. Because every one of us has moments when somebody's got to put up with us. I mean, it's moments when we lose it. It's moments when we're overly sensitive. It's, it's moments when we're, we're judgmental. So we, we all have those moments when we need to be put up with. 
Um, I'll share one of my annoying habits with you. It's, it's at least a habit that annoys my wife. So uh, we'll be sitting and watching TV or we'll be, you know, laying in bed, getting ready to go to bed. And I'm, I rub my feet together. And for some reason, this just drives her crazy. And so fortunately, I can go here and say, Paul says to put up with. And also what I, what I like to say to her is, if this is the worst thing about me, then you got a pretty good deal. <laughs> now, you can clap for that, but unfortunately, that's not the worst thing about me. I'm not going to go into to all of that, but there are some things about us that we just got to put up with, and we just got to let it roll roll off. Some things that we have to just overlook. Not everything that you differ over has to be confronted Okay, some things you just got to let it roll off, but some things do. And so he goes on in verse three and says, eager to maintain the unity of the the spirit. NIV actually does a, a much better job of translating this phrase when it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. ESV makes it sound, it, eager sounds like an adjective and it's not an adjective, it's a verb. So make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Sometimes it takes work. See, community takes unity. Unity takes work. That includes the hard work of of conflict resolution. I mean, sometimes we, we run into things that are difficult, require hard conversations. The easy thing to do is to run away from it. The hard thing to do is to tackle it. So, so when we... When we come up against disagreements, sometimes we let it roll off and we just put up with it. Other times we need to confront it. How do we know? How do we know which category we're in? Let me give you a litmus test. Okay, how about this? Um, Ask yourself the question, is this about me or is this about us? Is this about me? Is this issue about me? Is it about my preference? Is there really anything like morally wrong with this, biblically wrong with this? Then probably I just need to let go of it. I just need to let it roll off. And we don't need to make a big issue of it. But if it's about us, if it's about our ability to live in harmony if it's about our ability to move forward together, if it's about our ability to serve the Lord together, if it's about us, then we probably, if it stands to get in the way of and become a wedge between us, then we probably need to tackle it and we need to talk through it. And that's diff- and that can be difficult. Now, I can imagine that some of you are thinking right now, well, what if it's not about me and it's not really about us, it's just about them. It's just, it's their issue. If you're thinking that right now, I'll just refer you back to, is this about me? Okay, so I think that'll, that'll take care of, of that. Conflict resolution is so important to, to us at, at Grace Point that we have embedded it into our constitution. We have embedded it into our membership process. So we have an appendix to our constitution called relational commitments. And I actually posted this on my blog, on our blog. Um, it's, it's up and available for you to take a look at. Now, it talks about different areas of relationship, all the way from our personal relationships, our family relationships, all the way to our, our church relationships and our working together. And it talks about the accountability that we submit ourselves to as, as members of Grace Point to say, if we encounter a conflict, 
that threatens our harmony and our unity, then we are committed to working that through. We are going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is actually, if I could just say this, this is a good incentive and a motivation to become a member of Grace Point. Because because being in real spiritual community is not just about coming in and taking in whatever benefits me and, and leaving the hard stuff to somebody else. Being part of a, a community involves sometimes getting into the nitty-gritty and working through the difficult things in life and, and becoming a member, saying that you're going to be a member of Grace Point. Really, uh, you're submitting yourself to that authority to say, you know what, I, I'm willing to be held accountable to that because I know that's, that's what God would want in, in my life. So the, the good news is, and, and so we'll have a Discover Grace Point coming up here in, in a number of weeks that we'll be letting you know about if you would love to, uh, to get involved uh, in that way. Um, but you can keep the re- relational commitments even if you're not a member, and we encourage you to do that. Good news, we have people here at Grace Point who are trained to help you because sometimes you, we, we may not know how to work through a conflict that we have. Sometimes we may need help with that. We may even need counseling. So we have a number of resources available to you if you're finding yourself in that place where you know there's something that you need to work through towards unity, then we can help you with that. Let me know. Let our office know. We'd be glad to help you with that. There's some other resources also uh, available there on on the blog, including uh, a Right Now Media resource that is all around conflict resolutions from Peacemaker Ministries. And so that's all available to those of you who are involved, all of us uh, here at, at Grace Point. Community takes unity. Unity takes work. And, and to crown this off, Paul talks about these three virtues that we need to be able to, to do this work well. In verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Those sound a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. And so a lot of times we don't have the resources in and of ourselves to be able to to bring peace and to be able to reestablish harmony. Thank God we are not limited to the resources that we have by ourselves. We have access to his spirit living in us who can empower us. So Paul goes on now in, in verse 4 to describe the basis of our unity. What, what we have in common that is stronger than what pulls us apart. And so as I read these next verses, I, I like to do these little quizzes once in a while. So I, I want you to count the number of times that Paul mentions the word one. Okay? So starting verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How many times? Seven. Seven. Okay, so the number of completeness, the number of perfection, so the, the complete unity, all based on what Christ has done for us, what Christ has accomplished, our faith, our baptism, one body, one spirit. This is what we have in common that is stronger than what pulls us apart. 
Please, and, and so this is where our focus needs to be. When we get focused, when we get distracted by all kinds of other issues that threaten to pull us apart, this is what brings us back to the table of saying, okay, at least we have this in common. Let's start from this point. Too many times we don't start from that point of what we hold in common. And sometimes we just gloss over the idea of, of unity and we confuse it for uniformity. We, we dismiss the idea of unity because we, we, we say, well, I'm just not the same as somebody else, and so I can't experience unity with them. So the goal is not uniformity. The goal is not that we all do the same or think the same. God designed the body to be diverse with different parts, uh, different functions, different perspectives, because we come together then under one head, Christ, And then we do better work and better ministry because of our differences. Paul, if we had time, we would go on in Ephesians 4 and we would see differences, diversity in the giftings that God gives to the church. And so the uniformity is a bad thing. But what is needed is is, is, uh, unity in diversity, those different parts coming together and it starts with holding on to what we have in common in Christ. So we're asking the question, what what would love do? Well what 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 does unity look like in the face of disagreements? When we disagree with someone else, what does what would love do? So let me suggest this. This this week I would encourage you to just get very practical with this and initiate a conversation with someone else who holds a different viewpoint than you. I, I dare say it's, it's not hard to find that right now. But find, find someone else, have a conversation with them, invite them over, maybe sit in your backyard, social distance, uh, and all of that. But just to have a, a conversation, if you have to, do it, do it on Zoom. But have a conversation with someone who thinks differently with, from you about something. So maybe it's, maybe it's the mask issue. Maybe it's, you know, we're talking about red, yellow, green. Maybe, many of you who are sitting here in the room, green. You know, you're, or maybe yellow. Maybe you're, you're cautious. And, and so we've got some folks at home who are in the, in the red. And so maybe initiate a conversation with, with someone to say, help me understand why you're the color you are. And this is not for the purpose of trying to convince them of anything. That you're right and, and they're wrong. This is, this is just trying to understand. Because one of the things that love does is love seeks to understand before being understood. See, a lot of times we get into a conversation with somebody that we disagree with and our main goal is to just, if I could just get you to see my point of view and see how knuckleheaded yours is, then you would understand why, you know, my way is right. That's not the purpose of this conversation. It's just to, to understand and to serve that other person by understanding. So if you're, if you're brave, initiate that conversation with someone of a different ethnicity and ask them, what, what is it like for you right now as you see everything that's going on in our country and our world? What is that, what, what's that like? What's your experience like? What's your history been like? Have you experienced racism? Tell me about that. Help me to understand. Here's, here's a tool for you. That phrase is a tool for you to use. Help me understand. 
Help, what is it like to be in your shoes? If you're really, really brave, or maybe crazy, um, find someone who's in a different political party and ask them, what, what made you choose to register that way? What do you like about what's going on right now in, in your party? What maybe, what, what do you not like? Help me understand. This, this is, again, not for the purpose of trying to convince anybody of anything. This is for the purpose of building bridges. Our, our vision as a church is to build bridges, ultimately, for life change through Christ. And so what we ultimately want to be able to do is sit down with someone who disagrees even on these foundational things that at least we agree on as Christ followers. But we want to be able to sit down with somebody who doesn't even agree on that and say, help me understand and build a bridge to them because we want to have the chance to share with them about these things that are so core to us and why Christ is so important to me. We want to be able to have those conversations. Surely... Surely we can start within our community of faith to have conversations with someone that we disagree with and learn what it's like to listen without judging, listen without trying to force our point of view on someone else. Community takes unity. Unity takes work. So there are some things about moving from isolation to community that are really great and really rewarding. And again, I just, I I can't tell you, it's so awesome to like look out and see you guys smiling and nodding. And I don't think I saw anybody yawn this time. So that's, that's really cool. Um, So some things are really great. And we even did some elbow bumps on the way out after in and out uh, here as as you guys are leaving. It's great to be able to connect in these ways. So there's some things that are great. There's some things that are really hard about moving from isolation to community. There's a lot of things that are really hard about all the change that we are experiencing right right now. And so that's, that's a plug. That's a segue for next week. We're going to be talking about trauma. We're talking about PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that that may sound a little extreme, um, uh, but for for some it's not because the kind of anxiety that's been happening over the last several months, that's not an overstatement. But all of us have really experienced trauma to some level because of the level of change that we've seen. So we're going to talk about that next, next week. But in the meantime, we have the opportunity to practice pursuing unity and as we pursue unity we're not just doing that for for our benefit within our community of faith we're also doing it because there's a world outside watching us they're watching us and my prayer is that as they look in at us they would see that jesus makes a difference not just in what we believe but even in how we can disagree Let's pray and ask God to strengthen us in doing that. Father, we thank you for the solid foundation you have given us of of what we can agree on. Thank you for the solid foundation of what Christ has done selflessly, lovingly for us. And so, Lord, we, we confess that so many times we fall short of living up to the calling with which we have been called. 
And, but Lord, we, we want to grow in that. And so call, call us, Lord, into a greater unity as a church, not uniformity, but Lord, a, a unity where our differences come together to, to make us better. Lord, teach us how to do that because we don't do that naturally very well on our, our own. But Lord, I pray for Grace Point that we would become better at that, that we would become really good at that so that we can shine as a bright light in this community that desperately needs hope, that desperately needs unity, that has no idea how you could possibly even have unity with somebody who disagrees with you. Lord, would you help us to learn how to do it so that we can help them learn how to do it as well? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.